Hi, welcome to episode 10 of the True Change podcast with Prashant Goel. My guest this week is Brian Santiago, and Brian is the founder and creative producer of Looker Lab, which is a digital media and design house. He's also a writer and director with multimedia projects in both Los Angeles and New York. And excited to have Brian as a guest here today. I met Brian through my dear friend, Nita Baum, who I've been having a series of podcasts with. He's also a co-creator of, a fellow co-creator of Be Free. And we had had the chance to speak one-on-one uh, recently, and we just had a wonderful conversation. And I felt Brian is exactly the type of person I'd love to have on this podcast. And so he graciously agreed to join us here today. So we're just going to see what, what comes up for us today, talk about Brian's path, talk about his work in the world, and, uh, and just have a good time. So welcome, Brian. Thank you for being here. Any opening remarks? No, just to say thank you for, you know, having me on the podcast. Uh, I look forward to speaking with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think a great place to start, Brian, is that you come from a creative background and have done a lot of interesting and diverse projects in that field. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what informs your artistic vision. Well, I think originally I had started in the arts doing more fine arts like pastels and and charcoals and and drawings and wasn't really ever a painter, but I I also got into sculpture at one point as well. And that was in high school. And then I always had the craving for live performance. For some reason at that time, I was more interested in dance than theater. And then I never did high school theater and I think it wasn't sound pretentious, but it wasn't like deep enough for me or dark enough. The shows like it was just always kind of like fluffy and I I knew I wasn't interested in that. So I was more drawn to modern dance. So then when I got to uh, college, I, I originally went to college for international marketing and communications, which we'll get back to that later. It's kind of funny. I, uh, switched to an audition for the theater department at New Paltz, SUNY New Paltz, and I got in. And so that sort of changed the trajectory of my college career, became all about performance. I became a modern dancer. I started a dance company. I studied Graham and with my professor, Lynn Barr. And, you know, I came across so many individuals, teachers and individuals that really inspired me to continue doing my work, whether it's, it's being as a performer or as a director choreographer. And so that's how I got started, moved to New York city to pursue dance and theater, but mostly theater, even though I had done a couple production dance productions at the age of like 20, a woman, Lisa and I had started our own dance company. By 21, I had done two full scale productions. And, and then um, when I moved to New York city, I decided to focus more on directing and theater and all the while was pursuing my acting career as well. So that kind of brought me up into the point where I moved to Los Angeles and 
I'd gotten cast in a, in a, a lot of things and it, not nothing major except, you know, um, one commercial, you know, I'd moved to Los Angeles cause I thought I'll give this acting thing a really good go. And while I was living in Los Angeles, besides realizing that it's just kind of a corporate commercial machine out there when it comes to, to acting, it's not really so much about the craft at least at the scale that I was, I'm sure as you progress in your career, you can make more artistic choices that add more value to the (laughs) entertainment arts, I guess. But um, I decided when I was there that I didn't want to act anymore and that I, that I was, was better served being a director and, and someone with a vision and a writer and making that vision. I joined the team had started Artists on the Brink as their artistic director and then later brought a branch back to New York City to start the East Coast branch of that nonprofit organization. That's kind of creatively where the, the path um, that I've been on. I've also written a feature film that was kind of on its way to production and we ran into a few challenges financial challenges, which happens a lot as anyone can, can guess. Um, so that is kind of on hold right now. And I'm also been working on a project for 20 years that's seen multiple different incarnations. And now I'm trying to turn it into a television series, that artistic creative side of, you know, everyone seems to have more than one career, either simultaneously or one following the other. It's not like my parents who, you know, my father who worked in the same places for 40 years that while I'm pursuing this path of, it's obviously a very competitive one that I finally found something that allows me to pursue that path while I'm making a living doing something that's somewhat related to what I do, though it seems somewhat indirect to people, probably um, social media design and digital media. There's a lot of overlap there. So I think that Finally, I found where the the two paths sort of converge. Okay. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I hope that wasn't too long. (laughs) No, it was great. It was great. It's nice to hear your your background of what's brought you to this point today. And it sort of helps the audience understand these two different aspects of Looker Lab and the multimedia projects through writing and directing. It's interesting what you say because you ha- obviously have this strong connection to the arts through dance and theater and acting and directing and everything that's come before. It it ran into some financial challenges at some point with the feature film. There were aspects that challenged your sense of artistry when you were out in LA. And it puts us in touch with some of how arts are valued in in modern society as experienced by you directly. And then that, that element of it bringing in, okay, so how can I make this work? How can I continue to pursue this, this aspect of my life that obviously means a lot to me, but also make my life work on a practical level? Because that's kind of what's asked for in this situation. And I don't know, that's just how I'm reading what you said. And I'm wondering if, if I, if I'm onto something with that and, and how, 
you know, just how you would comment on that. I'm trying to be thoughtful here. Um, it's challenging in, you know, I was having a conversation with a, a friend of mine just before this, who's a designer and he spends a lot of time, time in Europe talking about the differences. I feel like we're very culturally challenged in the States. I feel most of our culture is just entertainment. I don't want to say anything grandiose because I don't, I don't have a formal education in this area. This is just what I've gathered through my own experience is that, you know, the arts and is so underappreciated in this country. And I don't mean that to sound victimized because I don't feel it's my choice to stay here. (laughs) My choice to do it. Um, It's the reality of the situation that I feel we're just lacking in like live cultural experiences. I feel like in this country and I, I have a friend who just traveled across the country and, you know, basically the frustration was, you know, what do you see? Do you, you see Walmart? You see Dunkin' Donuts? You see McDonald's? You see Home Depot? You just, you go anywhere and you're just not really experiencing much culture. This sort of this mega corporation domination of the country. And sure, you have charming little pockets here and there, but it's, I think it's all related. I don't know if I've able to articulate how it's all interwoven, the lack of appreciation for culture and the arts in the United States and how sort of abysmal our political landscape has gotten and that married to corporate, large corporate domination. I think that there's a lot of connective tissue between those things. Yeah, so, you know, um, in the interest of survival, it's, it's interesting because I often think that, you know, New York City has changed a lot too. And I've noticed a lot of creative people. It's not the type of place to, I'm sure in Bushwick, but it's not really the kind of place to like put on a show and do experimental theater. And, you know, you can still do that, but it's, it's just very difficult to be able to do that and survive here unless, you know, you have some sort of trust fund. So I've noticed a lot of artistic and creative people get absorbed into business with the digital landscape. And I, I think that I'm one of those people and I'm grateful for it because it's offered me, afforded me the opportunity to leave the hospitality industry, which I worked in for 16 years. My last sort of bigger job in that field was as general general manager for a hotel for the food and beverage department. That was just like not, fulfilling and and to me personally in any way you know sure I got to meet a lot of friends along the way but as far as the actual work went I did not find it fulfilling or rewarding so I think that moving into the digital media space because I had to because I had had a nonprofit arts organization that didn't have the budget to to hire people to do everything you know I had to take on a lot of you know I taught myself how to make a website. I taught myself social media and, and that eventually turned into, you know, I've been doing that for seven years. I've had the, the business officially for two, but I've been freelancing since 2010 and that eventually built into the company, uh, Looker Lab. 
currently doing. And there's a lot of creativity that goes into the space and I get to work with a lot of creative people. So it's been really rewarding. It's not something that I, I went to school for. It's self-taught, which sometimes I feel like can be the best because you're, you're hungry and you want that knowledge and you kind of put out there, like, I need to show up for this. People make requests of you and you, you, it's sort of like fake it to that to you make it. You, people put in requests of you and you, you have to, you have to figure it out. You have to, you know, show up and you have to deliver. Um, and I kind of like that kind of pressure. Yeah. It's very similar to performance. You have that moment when you're on and everything prior to that has to have been thought out in pre-production in order for that moment or that event to go amazingly. So I, I work best on setting myself up for the pressure to deliver. Um, I don't like disappointed people. I don't like disappointed audience and I don't like disappointed clients. So <laughs> that works for me. Spoken like a true professional. <laughs> That's great, Brian. I mean, there's a lot of richness in what you just shared. And I feel your perspective as somebody who has come through a, a creative path and found your way to, to support that with the self-taught, with the self-taught skills that can sustain, you know, and it's like these two sides of your personality, but they're very closely related and how they really complement each other. You know, one is, is still an expression of your creativity, but allows you to be very pragmatic and practical and, and grounded in the world and take care of, you know, your sustenance needs. And this other is this, this exp real expression of something that lives inside you in your heart that you want to share with others in the world, something that you feel really connected to and how you haven't allowed yourself to, to become like bitter about any of that and, you know, feel victimized, as you said, that it's, that it's been a product of choice and that you've, and that you've created space to continue to give energy to different elements in your professional portfolio is great. And, and just everything you said about the interconnectivity between large corporations, the lack of live cultural experience, and the undervaluation of creativity and the arts in the United States. It's a, it's a valuable perspective. And I think that sometimes we get caught up, if you're a person listening to the show, for example, who comes from a different perspective, it's, and say so you work in a corporation, it's interesting to, to hear what the other has to say in this situation and hear what your experience has been and I don't hear, I don't hear bitterness or attack in any of it. I hear just a, a kind of, look, this is the lens that I bring to what I'm seeing. And, and, and I think there's a whole lot of people out there who would agree with you about the bleakness of the political landscape, that it really has turned into a soap opera, our government on some level, which is kind of crazy. And, and I'm just appreciating, you know, like your, 
like in this broader social context, what has been your experience and how has it motivated you to make the decisions you've made and how have you navigated all of that in your own life? And so I guess that's, that's what I'm taking away from what you said and wanting to reflect back and, and seeing what you'd have to add. Yeah. I mean, look, I was born on July 4th. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really, it's really hard for me not to, um, be super, you know, patriotic and, and patriotic in a way that's not blind patriotism or nationalism. It's actually, you need to criticize your country as much as possible. So it can become the best that it can yeah. be. I don't know what's going on with this new culture of falling into lockstep with, with whatever someone says, um, because you don't think, feel like thinking for yourself, but I can be very optimistic, but I, I like to address the things that are getting in the way of the optimistic vision from coming true. So I think that a lot of times it's people have to stop grazing over things to try to, you know, paint things as just being okay. Like there's a lot of big problems and the reality of the situation needs to be addressed. I often get caught between there's people who complain, um, who don't add value, you know? So there's a difference between acknowledging that something's a real problem um, and that there are real problems and being really honest with yourself about the reality of the situation that we're in. But at the same time, making sure that you're trying to craft and work on what is within your control to make life and experiences better for the immediate people interactions that you have with people more positive because I feel like you can either get there has to be that perfect or you have to one should strive for a balance between those things because if you're just one of those people who complain or you're just one of those people who are like oh no everything's going to be fine um you know you're really missing something I feel like I, I tend to be on the, the side of uh, wanting to really look at the harsh realities of what's going on around us. Well said, Brian. Kudos. I agree with striking that balance, you know, because it's easy, it's easy, it's convenient to choose one of those extremes to just be really resentful and bitter or to be really sort of with the blinders on um, and and kind of this false optimism. I think that act of, okay, there is a reality here that I challenge, that I don't believe in, that is a direction that doesn't feel right or good to me. Uh, to challenge that, to step up, to, to see that, to speak about it, and then to then take action to make and help the experiences of others around you be better is I think the essence of our, our civic duty, actually the definition of what it is to be a good citizen maybe hasn't been, hasn't been discussed enough recently. And it seems to me that, that, you know, if you look at patriotism in the line of somebody like Henry David Thoreau, for example, who spoke about the duty of civil disobedience. I think it's the discourse and 
the objectivity and the willingness to try to understand together what the reality of the situation is, which can't be swept under a rug of positive thinking and walking in lockstep with others. It, and it's not about towing the party line either. It's not ultimately about being a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or an Independent or a Green Party or what have you. It's about how do you lie on the issues and where do you, where do you add your voice so that ultimately it's like, we're all Americans. We're all world citizens underneath all of this. And so I love this line of, of inquiry and conversation that you're bringing to the surface here because I share some of these views with you and I feel citizenship has come to mean wearing red, white, and blue without this critical thinking, without this more intelligent conversation behind it. I feel like the current administration is kind of America hitting its rock bottom with the stupid. And I feel like Americans as a whole, to me, this exacerbates the fact that as an, as a nation tends to be somewhat emotionally immature collectively the the need the want to be entertained it just to me it's this is kind of we're hitting the bottom with this and I, and I feel like the reason why I'm hopeful is that you can't actually make progress until you realize there's a problem and by hitting rock bottom with something then you're acknowledging that there's a problem so hopefully collectively after this experience people will you know, those people who are independents, those people who aren't so political, the people who don't wear one color or the other, the more practical people are the people who we would hope would be more practical, um, who tend to get swayed one way or the other. Hopefully they'll get swayed by being so repulsed and disgusted by this experience that we'll actually see, you know, like with the whole healthcare thing, like who knows, like maybe hitting bottom with this is what's going to bring us to single pair. You know, maybe those great things are just after this a moment. That's what I'm choosing to believe. Not believing it blindly, not believing it without work, not believing it without keeping politically informed, not believing it without making phone calls to, you know, my senators and, you know, congressperson, but believing that, you know, hopefully you know, things will get better after this experience. I feel, you know, if we look at the interconnectivity, one point that you just touched on is, I mean, it's, it's such a complex system of all parts interrelated, but I would go back to the core being inside each individual and how the culture and the individual relate to each other in creating a system which favors emotional immaturity and favors that need for like fleeting pleasures and and passive entertainment and also the image of success that is connected to that that it's very outward related that we almost feel 
if we just keep going outwardly enough, those things that don't feel so good inside us will magically change. <laughs> and it's, and it, and it comes from the, the emotional maturity. And it's a very clever system that's created all this imagery of a people, of a nation where there's a lot of alienation from the self. There's a lot of disconnection from our own hearts inside this. And that if we're unwilling to do this work of looking outside at what's not working as well as inside at what's not working and being objective and being in a way where we're willing to be patient and exert effort and and examine our own narratives on a collective and cultural level as well as on an individual level in any given interaction, then we end up in systems that gravitate towards the lowest common denominator. One of my friends told me that she saw that all this is a product of all that energy we started giving back to in the 90s of uh, like towards Jerry Springer, you know? And it's almost like this negatively oriented pleasure that we have when we watch drama happening, you know, and, and that we've like, we've elevated that to the, to the highest scale. And I would say that we all in one way or another, are part of the system, sharing responsibility for it, buying into it somehow. And so how do we also bring compassion to people who are holding opposing views so that we, that we can listen to each other and actually take positive steps forward. So I think it's, it's very, very entangled. It's very, very messy, like from, from how education figures into politics, figures into healthcare, figures into our food system, figures into our imagery of success, the culture itself at the deepest level holding so many roots to, to all of this symptomatic stuff that we see. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. I, um, yeah, there's a lot of different, it's a, it's a complex conversation <laughs> to have. And I was trying to think of like, okay, so how I think there's one thing to, you know, point, if you're pointing a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Right. So I think that blame is, is very interesting um, tactic to avoid. And I think that in talking about these things, it's also important to, for me to look at how do I participate in, in this in some level, because there's drama and then there's drama without mm. thinking there's drama that doesn't add value to the human experience or to something that's going to educate you and something, a new perspective, you know, but being a writer director and also someone who works in social media, a lot of people will think of social media as like, you know, millennials and selfies and an exacerbation of that very thing of what we're talking about. But I often say to people, it's the difference. And I'm trying to bring this back to like the work that mm -hmm. I'm doing and also being part of a, a community like Be Free and being a co-creator there, there's, there's one way to look at it. It's just like when television came out, people of an older generation were very, really worried because all the kids were like sitting around watching TV instead of out playing. And, and, and they had right to be, I'm sure. But it's all about balancing that. And there's, there's the social media that can 
exaggerate everything that we were just talking about, the drama without thinking or the self-indulgence and the me, me, me culture. But there's also, it can be a powerful tool to empower people who are, you know, a lot of people that I work with have small businesses and for them to get their story out there about, because a lot of people are very passionate about what they do. Um, Even if it's just a simple product that you don't think there's a story behind, there's a story behind it because there's a person behind it. So exploring all of those stories, telling those stories and being able to get it out there. I mean, for the most part, unless you're doing paid media, if you're patient, patient enough, and if you're one might say focused enough, another might say obsessive enough to actually make progress within your social media, it's actually a means for you to um, grow your business without having to pay some big corporate magazine, um, you know, $2,000 for an ad, you know, so there's, there's an empowerment there that comes from being able to do your own social media and for your company, or if you're a public figure or what, what have you, there's so many layers there, um, that can actually add value to people's lives. I mean, I, there's, there's entertainment and there's fluff. There's, you know, you're going to see cat <laughs> pictures. You're going to see, you know, st- stories of people falling and stuff like that, but it's up to you to decide what you're looking at. And I've, I've seen someone in my family, their feed when I was helping them set up their iPad, because believe it or not, I'm the youngest in my family. So I was usually get the, can you help me with this tech job? And I was looking through her Facebook, trying to find an example of an, an article And there was no articles. It was literally just meme after a funny cat pick after absolutely nothing of value except for mindless entertainment. And then, you know, and then I look at other people's feeds who are filled with great articles, you know, podcasts, informative, like thoughtful information mixed in with entertainment, you know. I understand that people have to maintain the balance between I just worked 60 hours a week. The last thing I want to do is read 10 pages of political, you know, whatever is going on in in the local politic. But um, it's just interesting to see that it's it's something that can add a lot of value, but it can also just be one big distraction. Thank you for thank you for bringing us back to. To your work and. For myself, what I feel is this is also another reason for hope is that this empowerment exists and that many people are finding a way to direct their intention and attention to these richer materials and conversations and inputs and that they're also themselves looking to contribute in more meaningful ways. And, and this is exactly why your work is supportive of, of, like you said, the immediate people around you, because they need these skills. They need to be able to find their voice. And this is also why I think both art and social media have an other connection, because in digital digital media and design, because art is holding up a mirror to society to say, on one level, this is one way to define art, 
it's holding up a mirror to society to say, look, here's a reflection. Here's something we should think a little bit deeper about. And it's expressed in a way that is thought provoking and heartwarming or challenging and intriguing. And digital media is also giving strength to, to societal advancement through this sense of empowerment because there's been a great force of democratization that's arrived. So for all these challenges that we were just speaking about a moment ago, it's also really awesome to notice there are very real and powerful reasons to hold this optimism. Yeah, and I I think that it's the same as um it's similar to the fact where we're we're entering more of an experience, a realm of experience economy. Like we want to experience great things um, and good things rather than have things. I feel like the materialism aspect hopefully is starting to fade away and that people want more experiences in life that have value. And so it's the same as like, you know, do you need 10 t-shirts for $20 or do you need three good ones that contributed to a smaller business that has good business practices and who is eco-friendly and, you know, like, is that shift happening? I, I, I don't know. I hope so. But I feel like, yes, it's the information age and for someone who who lives with information all day long. Like it's, it's amazing how many notifications and, and articles and images I see every day working in this field. But I feel like I work in this field, people who people can craft and control what they're seeing. Like I, it's just amazing to me that I never have to see a Coke ad in my social media because they know that I am not their target market. And that I have control over what I'm seeing. And when I do see ads, they're usually about design or social media. And they're things that I'm actually interested in. I feel like people might be overwhelmed. I think people are overwhelmed in general right now. I feel like they're overwhelmed by the world becoming more interconnected. I think they're overwhelmed by the world becoming more uh, other societies becoming more equal. I think they're overwhelmed by the amount of choice that we have, whether it's, you know, which Netflix, Hulu or Amazon show you're going to watch. And, you know, like the, 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 being overwhelmed by products. I think that we're, we're moving at a pace that's so fast now that we really need time to step back and reflect and curate what's coming into our lives. Like we have the power to curate I have the power to curate. There's people who that I have gravitated to the last couple of years. And there's people I've let go because I want to gravitate. I have that choice. And I just think that capitalism in general, and I don't, I'm not, you know, I have no economic background as far as like studying different styles of uh, economies in the world, but all I know is that I feel like hypercapitalism is like not working. And I feel like it puts us in a constant state of panic and anxiety. And that leads us to being less thoughtful people. I experience that all the time myself. 
and until very recently, like, have I been able to not feel like I'm in a reactive state of being um, when it comes to my work, when it comes to my interactions with people, the, the collective economic anxiety is um, debilitating. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Everything you're saying, because I feel like this is really, you, you really tuned into some things that I'm seeing as well and, and having a really good sense of balance about it, not trying to be, like you said, a complainer or anything like that, but really just saying this is what I'm seeing. Because what I'm seeing, you know, to build on, on, on what you just offered is the system implicit in what you said is that capitalism and everything we've done around it is a matter of choice. It's not an inevitability and that there are other ways that we can go about how we structure ourselves and what should inform how we make that choice is what are the consequences? How, how does society feel to each of us? And right now it doesn't feel very good for a lot of people. I think a lot of people stay put because they need to, to make their lives work because they've backed themselves into a corner financially with kids' educations and mortgages and car payments and, and this type of thing. And it can be, you know, as some people have called it in the past, it can be a life of quiet desperation. And I think that this, this what you're talking about, taking a step back to look at it and reflect and, and converse and have dialogue. This great quote from Bobby Kennedy, like 50 years ago, who was talking about the economy and he was saying, GDP, it measures our rifles and knives and machines to clean up carnage and the things we invest in warfare, but it doesn't include our, our ingenuity and the joy of our children and the strengths of our marriages and, and this type of thing. And he said, in fact, GDP measures everything except that which makes life worth living. <laughs> that's a really strong quote and and so it's at service of what what are we trying to realize we're trying to realize better lives right we're trying to realize a good human experience and so right now it seems like we've gotten a little bit or a lot off track and so to bring it back to the individual level is who are we inside of this you know for me in my personal story and i i know that it's it's maybe quite aside from the norm, but I've taken almost the last decade to try to understand human nature in, in my own experience and, and just validate this is what it's like to be a human. And that emotional immaturity has run so deep inside my system based on everything that I have adopted and absorbed from the world around me. And I see that it still has a way deeper to go. And I've become more okay with that. I've become more patient with myself saying, you know, I have these things in my personality. And I think there's this tendency towards needing to already be something today 
to to have something today and to be like what Robert Greenleaf, I think, turned a great phrase when he said, the zeal for instant perfection. And so where I think some threads in our conversation come together is, is that I experience this emotional immaturity inside myself. I think each person has the choice to see if those elements exist inside them. What you were saying about how you've overcome reactivity inside your system. And how do you then say, okay, the system is like this. It has these challenges, however you're seeing it. I mean, I think we're just offering a couple lenses that might be worth considering and people are welcome to explore that through their own, their own lens. But it's like this. And then what can I do to make a positive contribution? And how can I align with what is highest and best in myself and also look at all the things that would get in the way every step of the way, all the different ways fear manifests, all the different ways reactivity manifests, and make it a path on an outer level in an inner level. And you, for example, with your digital media are supporting other people to do that. And with your art, do you know, supporting other people to see things that they might not otherwise have seen. So just trying to encapsulate some of this conversation together, tie some of it together and, and see if you're seeing some of the same things in this conversation as me. I am. And I feel, you know, besides like hashing out some of the, the, the current events, um, that really what it comes, comes down to is the work that I'm doing. I love because I'm empowering people. Every single one of my clients has a dream. They don't, they want to do their own thing. They don't want to, um, and, and not all corporations are bad. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the greed of the few has been, you know, is, is, um, really kind of with the system that we have in place, kind of, I feel like it's debilitating towards people who would rather be doing their own, their own business or, you know, being entrepreneurs themselves. The work that I do with people is making in a way their dreams a reality. I've been working with some people for three and four years. If it wasn't working financially, they wouldn't be able to, use my services. So not only do I feel like, you know, financially it's working out for them to have their dream of their small business or their book or their film or their, their designs or their store, you know, and, and for them to have that autonomy, I just, I feel like that what I think of when I think of this country and like the American dream is being able to, to, you know, make something from nothing. Like you have the systems in place so that you can do that. And I feel like something's really been kind of going in the opposite direction for the past, you know, 40 years, slow progress of that. I think I feel excited about the work that I do. I have worked with one client that's of a bigger corporation and that was fine. Like I, I was a short job. It was to tell you the truth, exceptionally easy. That's, and at the time, financially, you know, going from freelance to a business and being self-sustaining and living in Manhattan, no less, um, can be very challenging. So, you know, I took that job and, and I would take another job like that. But the majority of my work is focusing on empowering 
my clients who are usually coming from small business backgrounds. So the way that ties into things politically for me is empowering the individual and that empowering them being able to have the autonomy to, to have their own thing, you know, to have their own business, to be in control of their, their own lives. And yes, it's very stressful for me too. Um, the security of not having a regular paycheck. I never thought I would be a person who would even entertain that idea. Never mind, be someone who last year there were months that were incredible. And then there were months that were like, oh no. <laughs> um, luckily this year has been more consistent, but, and, you know, working with Nita and Be Free has really been a huge support for me and learning how to balance all of these different aspects of freelance, solar, solopreneur or entrepreneur, whatever you'd like to call me at this time. But I'm getting that myself from working with that program. And then I'm therefore by osmosis kind of giving it to my clients. And it's been this really interesting process of seeing by osmosis, like even friends that I've known are, were so have noticed the difference in me, the difference of, you know, how my company's working and they're I mean, like, kind of like, how did that happen? Like, how did this change happen? And a lot of it has to do with empowering myself with surrounding myself with positive individuals who are contributing to my growth. And, you know, it's easy in this business to sort of isolate, you know, I have a little office, I have an intern, I have one woman who works with me, I have a designer, but everyone's remote. So I think that being part of a community is extremely helpful. And I've gotten that through Be Free and working with everybody there. Uh, So I think that that's a really important balance um, for me. But as much as, I, as I've learned, I, I see the change in myself and I see other people noticing the change and, and being attracted to it without me having to promote something. Also that a lot of people who, who may be working in more traditional contexts, you've gone through this thing of making the passage from a secure paycheck to to being, you know, kind of more month to month on a freelance basis and then how that's developed over time, how your inner world has changed over time and how that's changed the the outer context around you as well. And and I guess that's interesting to to look at that a little bit more closely for people, Brian, is what can you say about about summoning courage to take those steps and let go of old familiar things that were that we're working on one level, but maybe not really feeding uh, a deeper degree of fulfillment. Like, what did you have to bring to your own, your own self-reflection, your own conscious attention about making those steps? Because I'm sure that wasn't easy. It wasn't, and it's an interesting. I th- I feel like this experience is very different for everybody. That so I can only speak to my own. I, for me, I'm a very practical, pragmatic person, actually. And I needed to know that before I made a leap into this space, completely depending on this, this field to deliver my income for me to live from, I needed to uh, transition slowly off of the, the paying Secure job. 
So what I did was I went to, I went back to an older job after I was GM of that hotel to something that, uh, uh, a hospitality job that was part-time that was definitely less paying. I was making really good income at that job that I I didn't like. And I realized that I was too young to be in a, at that time, (laughs) I was too young to be in a field that I did just going to work, like kind of made me ill. So I decided to be very practical about it and take a part-time job in that field at a place that I was very comfortable in um, and with people who loved and supported me and wanted me to succeed and build this up simultaneously. So I needed that proof. I needed to say for six months, I brought in enough income and this job for this part, this, this part of my work to if after six months, I'm making enough money that I can fully sustain myself without the support of, the other job, then I can afford to transition. So for me, it was all about having the proof over a period of time, because I knew that, you know, one month might be really good. The next month might not be. What do you say to the person who thinks it only is about the leap and, and about this possibility that you're illustrating exists? Okay. I worked a year in a place to save enough money up to put on a production and be able to live on it for six months. My last show that I did. And I think that it's either having this, the wherewithal to to have some sort of savings. Of course, I'm talking to people like myself who don't necessarily, they have family who's supportive, but they don't have a financial fallback. Um, So I think that that's very important to highlight for people who do do have a financial fallback, all the power to you. Like, that's great. Take the leap. I think that a lot of people, at least people in my situation, the the biggest fear is, is financial. It's not necessarily, Oh, if I try this thing and it doesn't work out, I'm going to look like a failure. Um, I think it's more of just like, I won't be able to pay my rent and I don't have anyone to ask for money to support me. So I don't begrudge people who have the financial means whatsoever, but I'm speaking from my own experience. I didn't have that, that I either, you either need the proof that what you're doing is working and keeping something part-time that, you know, is there secure enough and being willing to make the sacrifices. I'm not going to be able to go on vacation this year. I'm not going to be able to buy that thing that I wanted or redo the floors, my part, whatever the case may be. And, and know that you're going to make that sacrifice for a couple of years to be able to make that transition and either slowly pull yourself away from a paying regular secure job or make sure, you know, that you save enough money that you can survive for six months without making any income. And I'm glad that you're bringing it to the attention of the audience that that exists. And I, I mean, you had mentioned when you were a GM at that hotel that it was like getting ill every day going to work. And now you're talking about a life that there's a lot of growth and excitement and community and autonomy and creative expression and empowerment of others. And it sounds pretty much night and day, yet there was this path in between it. And I'm sure that from you know the first steps of that path, where you are now w- was not visible. It's great that 
your life in some way until now, like this last, I don't know how many years it is, whatever, if it's five years, 10 years, but that it stands for this possibility of change and self-expression and movement in the direction of authenticity and fulfillment is awesome. You know, it's really awesome. I guess what I would want now is since we brought this really back to from the societal level to, you know, we see all these difficult things happening out there in the world. We see all these broken systems, but we're bringing it back to the hope that can exist on the individual level, but also the challenge that exists on the individual level. What, what encouragement do you offer? What seeds of hope and optimism for the person who might be in any state of this journey or wherever, but especially the one who feels ill going to their work in the morning and is worried about rent and very practical issues? What, from your stance now, what, what words of wisdom can you share with that person? Life's too short to be miserable. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, I, I, there's certain, and I understand, like, I, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in New York if you want it, and other bigger cities. You know, it's just like when I design something for a client, I don't have a one size fits all plan for everyone. I really take into consideration everyone's place of where they are, their strengths, their weaknesses. Um, so it's hard for me to say and sort of a sort of a blanket uh, words of wisdom, but I, I, I think that why not try? I, I would much rather try and fail than not try. Um, you learn so much when you fail. If you can get your ego out of the way, you can really learn a lot. So, you know, I don't know if this is forever. I might decide at a certain age, like, hey, I want to save up more for retirement. Let me go work for such and such. I'm completely open to that. But for what my life is right now and creatively trying to do, still pursuing like my creative endeavors and wanting my autonomy, wanting a life just that I feel I'm more in control, control, I wouldn't say control, I just feel like I have more control is an illusion, but I feel like I have more freedom um, in my life. And I feel, I think people will be surprised. I think some people, and cause I, I felt this way. So I'm assuming other people have that working for yourself can also seem scary. Cause it's like, am I going to have enough structure to be able to do the things that I need to do to be able to make, you know, um, progress in my work. But really, when it comes down to it, I mean, if it's your thing and it's your your job and it's your reputation on the line, you're going to show up for yourself because you have to. And there's something really amazing about that, showing up for yourself, really taking responsibility and not just punching in on a clock and and just kind of coasting through, you know, certain jobs. And um, I feel like showing up for yourself is one of the best things that you can do because Regardless if Looker Lab goes on forever or not, um, I'm obviously being silly there, but I, I've i learned so much from this experience that nobody can take that away from me. 
And again, it's going back to the experience as opposed to the thing. And that learning, my guess is really feeds your self-trust because you can, you know that with the knocks, with the obstacles, everything that you can handle a wider repertoire of experiences than you were previously able to handle. And so in that way, your world has very directly expanded. Very beautiful. I I think that this conversation has been pretty wide ranging from the systemic to the individual. And, uh, and there's been a good, uh, good dose of here's how we see things, but here's why that can also be a really good reason for positivity, optimism, and hope. And so as we bring this conversation to close, Brian, any, any closing remarks? No, I just, I think it's important for us to, um, I think it's important when listening to, to, to think of people just hearing their experiences Mm. and take what you need and leave the rest. I think people get very critical of um, thinking that someone is supposed to have the answer and they're looking for that thing wrong. They're looking for that thing wrong so they can discount the person altogether. And it sounds like I'm having a self-conscious moment, but I'm glad that I'm having it because I actually meant to say that before that, um, you know, if you're just looking for one person to tell you what to do, then, you know, you might be falling into kind of a collective trap that a lot of people are falling into right now. So I think that hearing lots of voices, taking what you need and leaving the rest, I think is a great couldn't agree more and how much that brings you back to yourself to see and feel where where you fall uh on any given issue and really beautiful brian thank you for sharing so much insight and encouragement and just yourself generously today i really enjoyed this conversation and and I'm, i'm confident there's others out there who will as well who are also questioning some of the systemic stuff and wondering how they can plug in and how they can can make a contribution that's also more fulfilling for their life experience. So that's it for today on episode 10 of the Imaginally True Change podcast. Really happy to have my guest here today, Brian Santiago, and you can find his work at Looker Lab. And that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. All the best. Namaste, namaste, Brian. Thank you.